Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Tim, and if this is your first time here and you're a guest with us, I'm glad you're here this morning. It's, uh, this is like only my second time here, actually. And it's been, it's been a joy to gather with you, like today especially. It's been very sweet. Um, my family and I, we got here last, so not like three days ago, but like the Thursday before last to Thursday. And it was almost like we shut down the block. 25 people were there. And neighbors were asking like after what's going on, what happened, is everything okay? Because you, you took a lot of stuff on a really big truck and they moved it very quickly. So thank you very much for, uh, thanks very much for, for being present in our life already. We're grateful for that. Um, one thing I'd like to do before we jump in though, the past few weeks you've been walking through the book of Jonah, haven't you? Yeah, and our own Drew Brummett has been walking you through the book of Jonah. Have you been blessed by him handling the word faithfully? Yeah? After this service, I'm asking you, pleading with you, even if you've already given him encouragement and feedback, give him more. Be really direct and very, very specific. So like I kind of preach every now and then, and for preachers especially, not just like, hey, good sermon, that's not helpful. What's helpful is when you said X, it impacted me in this way. So bless his soul because he wanted and labored for you. Fair enough? Wonderful. If you have a Bible with you now, open up to Ezra 7. We're going to be marching through Ezra 7 verses 1 through 10. Ezra 7, 1 through 10. And again, it's been a really sweet thing to get to know you all. As I have had the opportunity to hang out with some of you, some of you have had to ask the question, where are we going? And like, can I just be honest for a moment? Is that okay? I don't know yet. I don't know yet. That's because it's not all dependent upon me. It's just not. Jesus knows, right? The Father knows. The Father has preserved you well. And he loves our community too. That doesn't mean that we don't have priorities right now though, okay? First of all, one is, you might have received an email from me a couple of days ago asking to hang out or meet, schedule some time with me. That isn't just some like, uh, like I'm supposed to do that kind of thing. I want to get to know you. These first hundred days are for you. I want to know you. I want to care for you. I want to hear your story. The other thing though, while we might not have a trajectory yet, I think another thing that the Lord has impressed is like reminding us of who we are, identity, super critical. Did you know that 
HBC has a, has a vision statement? Yeah? Do you know what it is? Mmm. Mmm. And it's quiet. <laughs> right? Vision statement. You can, don't Google now. Don't do that. The vision statement is to be, I'm not even looking at my computer, it's to be a disciple-making church. That's the hope of every New Testament church. That's ingrained in every New Testament church. We find the starting point for that in Jesus' words to his friends and disciples. Someone is Googling it right now. (laughs) Jesus' words to his friends right after his crucifixion, burial, resurrection, defeating death, what does he say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You teach them to obey everything that I command you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age or to the end of the world. And so Jesus' commission to every New Testament church is sandwiched between his, his authority and his presence. That's something to rest in. He gives us a mission to get after, and we don't go alone. We, we have marching orders now. But it's older than that. Discipleship has been the mission since day one. When you go back to the very beginning in Genesis, God speaks everything into creation and Adam and Eve are there and he gives what's called this cultural mandate. What does he tell them? You are to be fruitful and multiply. Have kids. Spread across this land. Do it. And there's intention behind it. He says, subdue it. The psalmists, they they say the, the glory of the Lord is going to fill the earth one day. This isn't just because God's presence is everywhere, okay? It's talking about specifically when we're reading Genesis, God's glory will fill the earth through his image bearers, through people like you and me that were in right relationship with him. They would declare and subdue the earth and bring shalom and rest and peace all across the land so that all of creation might know his magnificence and worth and beauty. And we can keep going on. You know the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. This is the ancient creed and confession of ancient Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, he is one. We shall love the Lord our God with everything that we have. And then it continues with, you are going to wake up and go to sleep thinking about the law, the covenant, how God has a relationship with you, Israel. And you're going to teach your kids how to stay faithful to the covenant. Why? Because he's a God that brought you out of slavery and death. He's a forever faithful God. And so teach your kids to know the forever faithful God. Discipleship has been the mission always and forever. And it is here. 25 years from now, 
You don't know Tim Bits a lot. The one thing I want you to know is that Tim is about discipleship. HBC is going to be about discipleship. It's always been about discipleship. That's been the vision. And so we're going to see from this passage, Ezra 7, 1 through 10. We're going to hear from the Lord today through Ezra's life. What does it look like to follow Jesus today as a disciple? If you're able to, would you stand out of reverence for God's word? If you don't have a Bible with you, in the Pew Bible, you should, might have one right in front of you. It's on page 393. It'll also be on the screen here. This is what God's Word says to us today. Let's skip down, actually, because that's a lot of genealogy with some words that I practiced. But they're not, they're just not there yet, guys, okay? This is God's Word. I get it. I want to I honor it well. I'm not going to butcher it. Let's go to verse 6. This Ezra, the previous Ezra that connects his lineage to Aaron the priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all that he asked for the hand of the Lord was on him. And it went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites and singers and gatekeepers and temple servants too. Nezer came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem again, for the good hand of the Lord was on him. Verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach all of his statutes and all of his rule in Israel. This is God's word to us this morning. You could be seated. Discipleship has been the mission since day one. And if you take notes, here's the outline way up front, okay? We're going to hone in on verse 10 specifically. There are three things to focus in on. What does it look like for us to be a disciple of Jesus here and now? Three things. One is that we learn. We learn it. What it? We learn the Bible. We love the Bible. We sit in the presence of God and feast on his goodness and grace as we learn the scriptures. The second thing is we live it. As we learn from him, we live out his commands, his expectations, empowered by grace and the Holy Spirit. And then we pass it on. We pass on what the Father has given to us, to other people. We make disciples. First, learn it. What do we see in the first couple of, past, couple of verses in this section? A couple of things that are really important to note. First of all, Ezra does not believe that it's the king who is sending him back to his home in his country. 
Artaxerxes, the most powerful individual in Ezra's day, seemingly. Except we see two different times that it's God who is the one that is the master of Ezra's life. It's God who's the one whose hand is upon Ezra. And he's the one that starts him off on this disciple-making quest, but he's not coming alone. He's bringing the band with him, right? This is very important for Israel. This is a massive celebration for God's people at this time. Why? Because when you read the Old Testament, there's something incredible about the temple, isn't there? Who is there? Absolutely. When they were exiled from their home, they had the shaking, awful feeling, if God is here and we're not around him anymore, what are we to do? They're coming back and it's bigger than a Super Bowl halftime show, friends. They're celebrating because they get to think or they're thinking now that they're going to be all the way in the presence of God or at least as much as one can be without going into the Holy of Holies. This is a big deal for Israel. We also get a sense of what his character is like, don't we? What does it say about Ezra? It says that he, he's, he's pretty sharp, right? What does it say specifically? He's skilled with the word. Literally, this can be said as one that is quick with the word. He is equipped with the word. He knows the ins and the outs of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Knowing probably some of the Psalms too, some of Israel's own history. He knows it. If you were to think of someone that's very quick in a particular skill set, I'm just going to be very, very, very real. I am not skilled on a lot of different things. Um, I'm not the first person to call if you have car trouble, just not. My wife builds our furniture, friends. That's what she does. We don't buy Ikea typically because there are a lot of pieces and moving parts. Just, I don't have, I don't have time for that. Um, someone that is quick though with tools, Charlie Abishon. I don't see you. Oh, I see you now. <laughs> Thank you for coming over to my house this week and fixing my closet so that we can actually hang stuff up. If I were tasked to do that, how long would that take? Anyone. It would be awful. It's not good. Thank you for coming. Quick with wrenches and screwdrivers and hammers. You know physics and I, like there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Ezra was gifted and skilled and quick with the word. But then we feel his heart. We get a sense of his heart now. In verse 10, if you're able to, can we put that back on the screen and would you read that with me? Now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, obey it, and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. 
There are three different things that we see. He's learning it, he's living it, he's passing it on. A man that is quick with the word, he's skilled in the word. We see humility here, don't we? I already know it. I'm mastered by it. And I continually want to press in. That's what we see with Ezra. The educational system in Babylonia, it looked a little bit different than what it looked like in Moses' own day and even in Jesus' own day. And most assuredly, it looks different than our own day too. But if we look at the text, we get a feel for how he studied. And it's not just having a bunch of big old dusty books on a desk and cloistering ourselves away in a closet. That's not the idea of studying here. The idea of studying here is one that walks a path. He's walking a path continually, consistently through the text. He loves the text. He loves looking at the landscape of the text. He knows the peaks and valleys of the Bible in his day. He loves it. He's able to say with David, like, your law is like honey on my lips. I love this because it reveals your character to me, your promises to me. I love knowing your word. It looks like some of you know that we moved from Indiana um, last week. And one of the things that I miss are our neighbors that live next door to us, Keith and Patty. And Keith and Patty have a lovely home and even lovelier land. They have quite a bit of acreage and they have a lot of land up front, but they have so much behind their house. Woods, the whole nine yards. It's fantastic. You could hunt there, right? They have a clearing though in the back of their house and time after time, week after week, year after year, they've started to march through their property and there's a path that they cut through their property. No tools. They're not cutting stuff down. They're not digging stuff up. Just their feet starts trampling down on grass to make a path. That's similar to what we're talking about. When I'm walking their property, I'm not adventuring on my own. I'm following the path that they cut for me so that I'm not going to get stuck with sticker bushes. I'm not, I'm not outdoorsy. I don't know if you knew that or not. I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt today, right? I'm not that guy. I'm grateful for the path that they, that they plowed ahead for me so that I can look and listen to all the beauty that's around me. Ezra loved the beauty of the law. He loved resting in the beauty of the law. He wanted to know his God more and more and more. And so we have access to the most beautiful riches and wonders in the pages of Scripture. And this was something that the early church got on a very deep level. Deacons, if you're here today, let this blow your mind in the second to fourth century, what would happen? You would have deacons before they were initiated into the diaconate. They would begin memorizing the Psalms. I, I know Psalm 23. 
Anyone want to, right? You're memorizing all of it. You're memorizing one of the major prophets, whether that's Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Ezekiel. You're memorizing all the gospels too. If you wanted to be a pastor of a church, you're memorizing all of that on top of Paul's letters and memorizing all the major prophets and then some. Why? Because when we have the word, that's where we find life. When we're in the word, we find life there because it points us to the one where life can actually be found. As a newer, life could be found. And so we learn it, but that's not all. We, we have to do something with it, right? Let's be clear. Learning doesn't make us disciples. I'll say that again. Learning alone doesn't make us disciples. It does not. Learning is only a part of one part of the disciples' responsibility. What would be a picture of this in our own day? Does anyone remember the Karate Kid? I'm not talking about the one with Jackie Chan and Will Smith's son. I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about the real one. I'm talking about the one with Daniel San and Mr. Miyagi. What happens? Daniel San puts himself before Mr. Miyagi, help me protect myself. What happens? Wax on. Yeah, I don't even have to say it. You know it. It's ingrained in you. You are a disciple of Mr. Miyagi. (laughs) How does this translate, though, to self-defense from this to this? How does it happen? We don't know, do we? We know that he wins, though, in the end. He sought out someone that can teach him how to move through life. And he applied himself to his, his, his teacher's teachings. How do we know that we're a disciple of someone? When we put into practice what we have received from them. Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus? How do you know? There's a very scary tendency in some circles that I run. It probably not happens here. But even in, even in seminary, even in well-established churches, even in church plants, this kind of thing happens. Where the knowledge that we have received runs way, way, way ahead of our character. We know a lot about the history of the Bible and how to interpret it, but it's hard to practice it. It's one of the most hard things on the planet. There's, there are few things that are more difficult than when you're in the thick of it in a argument with your spouse. Hello, spouse. It's hard to recall to mind Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church who loved her and gave himself up for her. That's hard. I know the passage. I know the passage when it says don't exacerbate your children, dads. I'm like, 
but you didn't see him at a grocery store yesterday saying my name 30 Like, you get what I'm saying? We know the word. You, you know the word. But what is it that, that tells us whether or not we love Jesus, that we're a disciple of Jesus? What is it? We love him if we obey his commands. Do you love him? And so without action or follow through, without intentionality and intentional discipline practice, what happens? Even Bible reading, showing up on Sunday mornings, Bible studies, events, whatever, all of that becomes consumption. It's all consumption and not character forming. We waste instead of worship. We squander instead of submitting ourselves to him. May it never be. As we long to know his lane and to fill it and to stay in it. That's what we see with Ezra, isn't it? He says, I, I want to study the law and I want to do it. Literally, when he says do it, what is he saying? I want to perform it. An old dead guy once said that the universe, all of creation, all of it, from trees to fishes, everything, all of it is the theater of God. You and I play a very important role in this production that's going on right now, bringing glory to our Father. What would it look like, though, if you and I had different scripts or thought that the particular script and role that we're given today, I don't want to do that today. What would it look like? It would look like our cultural moment right now. Where there's confusion and chaos. I can be whatever I want to be. I can do whatever I want to do. And it wouldn't bring life, but it would tear apart at the seams. It would look like Six-year-old Tim at Heath Washington Elementary School at a Christmas pageant who was supposed to be singing Rock Around the Christmas Tree and instead lines up getting ready to sing O Tannenbaum. It's chaotic, it's weird, and it's not a matter of not knowing the songs or the placement and all of that kind of stuff. It's a matter of do we submit ourselves to what we have been given Are you a disciple of Jesus? To be a disciple of Jesus is to not let our information outpace our sanctification. And Ezra is no small individual in the Old Testament. His character is radically consistent throughout the story. He's radically consistent privately and publicly. Ezra 7, he begins to worship when he recognizes that Yahweh is the one that's sending him home to his homeland, his home country, to establish spiritual order. Ezra 8, he summons priests to come serve with him, alongside of him, to offer sacrifices that are due to God. Ezra 8, Ezra initiates a fast for the people to begin waiting upon the Lord. Ezra 9, Ezra prays for the people. He's painfully consistent. 
Eugene Peterson, the late Eugene Peterson, we could say this about Ezra's life. Ezra walked along obedience in one direction. And that was to make his God famous. Both in his vocation, in his public life, and in his preaching and teaching, and in his private life too. Is a model reformer. And so you and I, Ezra only had the law to look back to, but you and I, we have, do you believe this, by the way? We have so much more than he does in terms of what God has revealed to us. He only had a third, maybe generously, a third of the Bible that you and I have today, where the law was talking about how mercy and forgiveness could be found through Yahweh. All of this is a shadow and foretelling of the one who would bring ultimate and final forgiveness to people. And that's in Jesus. Ezra wanted to be obedient to the law, knowing the character of God. And now you and I, in the written page, we see that God's character is enfleshed in the person of Jesus. It was much more abstract for Ezra. It's very concrete for you and I. And you and I now, we're equipped to be way more faithful than he ever could be. Why? Because now when we trust in Jesus, the spirit of God lives inside of us to enable us to be faithful and to carry on his message and his work of reconciliation to sinners. You can live it. You can live this. The law isn't drudgery. The law isn't bad. Knowing God's expectations isn't awful. It is good for us. It's bad when we divorce it from the gospel and thinking that it's either fear or shame or guilt that motivates us to know him. I have to earn his grace. I have to earn his favor. Nuh-uh, it doesn't work like that. It's only by God's grace through Jesus Christ that enables me to live it out in such a way. But you can So if you've been beaten up by the same sins over and over, be free today. Be free today because the spirit of God who lives inside of you wants to use the word to break that stuff off of you and away from you. We're more equipped to singular devotion than anyone else on the planet. So we learn it, we live it, And then we pass it on. Pastor Brian Parks says it like this. One way that we preserve the gospel is by working hard to pass it on to others. You and I, we can theologize a little bit and say that the gospel is invincible. Nothing else on planet Earth would ever be able to defeat or dethrone the message of a king that's come to save sinners. That's true. But we have to think about the practical outworking of that. How does this happen? We have to enunciate it. 
We have to speak it. We have to give it away to people. It will never evaporate from this earth. That is true, but you and I are called to pass it on. Look at what happens lastly with Ezra. What does he say? Ezra sought to teach Yahweh's expectations or statutes and his judgments or the ceremony that's surrounding the law. He's not just a teacher here, though. There's some people that like to be called a teacher when in fact they just seem to make things more messy and uh, they're, they're talking heads, right? That's not what is being said here. Ezra's role, certainly from the public space, but also relationally, he's saying you help people learn. The same way that you've walked this path through the scriptures, you've walked a path through it and it's guided and changed your course, you're helping people understand that same path. Does it make sense? Passing it on isn't always like street preaching where a sandwich board sign saying the end is near. That ain't it. It's understanding what cultural moment we're in right now and showing people how the gospel of Jesus engages those cultural things in our world today as we've walked through the scriptures and learned from him. I'm almost out of time. Some might say I am out of time. I don't know. This is so much like Jesus. Ezra steps into a world that is filled with confusion and chaos and what happens. He tries to bring order. Jesus does the same thing in a world filled with darkness. Jesus brings the light of the world, doesn't he? As the light of the world, isn't he? And he teaches people. He's not just the Lamb of God. He's also our teacher and discipler. He teaches people that there is a new kingdom coming. He teaches people that the way that we get what we want in this life isn't through force and power, but it's by dependence upon him. He teaches us to pray to God as Father. He teaches us to love our enemies. In church, you and I were sent into the world right now, again, this moment in time to point people to the way and show them that there's actually a way. In a world of chaos and pain, we can show them the truth that the world around them doesn't have to tear apart at the seams. Passing it on, though, requires painful intentionality. Discipleship and disciple-making is connecting the content of the word to committed relationships. I'm going to say that again. Discipleship and disciple making instead is connecting the content of the word to committed relationships. So then what does that look like here and now? It's easy for me. I get paid to do this. What does it look like in your life though? Vocationally, there are people that are lost 
in your job site right now that need to desperately hear the gospel of Jesus. And the way to do that is by building relationships with them. There are people in your neighborhood right now, perhaps you know their names, perhaps you don't, your neighbors. Their neighbors right now next door to you that when they die, they will slip into eternity far from God forever in hell. You can engage them right now and you can give away the gospel of Jesus to them right now. You can do this with your family. friends. So church, this is who we are. We are a people who learn from the Bible. We're a people that live the Bible, and we're a people that pass on the word. Final question, what does God want you to work on here and now? Which one of these is easiest for you? What do you need to lean into this week? The Lord will help you with that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Again, thank you for Ezra's ministry and life. And Father, thank you for loving HBC. Father, there have been so many good years here. We believe it. We see it. There's fruit here. And we pray for many, 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 many more years to come. Father, our heartbeat is to make disciples. Help us do so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.